So let's, let's take our Bibles out and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1. And the text that we'll be um, looking at this morning is verse 15, sorry, verse 16 through to verse 17. Um, Philippians 1, 16 through to 17. And this is what it says. Verse 16, but the latter, out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. Sorry? Swap them around. You get the contact. Apparently, I swapped them around. Um, so we are going through the, the book of Philippians. We're trying to understand. Last week we covered um, verse 15. And uh, just to give some context, it said this in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from good will. We... Um, See, in verse 15, Paul listed uh, both proper and improper motives. Proper motives and improper motives to preach the gospel. Proper motive would have been, he says there in verse 15, good will, from place of good will. And then um, the improper motive, as we spent a bit of time last week, is a place of envy and strife. And I made some statements, and uh, as we looked at it, we tried to understand how, how. How do you preach a good thing, a gospel, from a place of envy and strife? It almost does not make sense. How can you be good toward me from a place of envy and strife? And so Paul continues here uh, today, and um, he, he sets forth another valid reason, another proper motive says, but the latter out of love. He says they, these people in Rome, some preached out of envy and strife, but there are others who preached out of love, a good motive, out of love. And so he continues to teach us through the scripture some more, he assigns more negative motives as we see um, here. So Paul had just made the point that some Christian workers were um, seeking to rub salt into his wounds, as it were, his prison experience. He was arrested for preaching the, the word, put into, into a, a, a place where, uh, where um, not many can get in there. He was surrounded by this elite group of gods who were guarding him, and he had the opportunity to then preach to them. And it seems as though the, the, the preachers in Rome, who were outside and free, were jealous, were envious of the fact that he is in prison. But I don't necessarily think that they were envious of the fact that he was in prison. It seems as though they were envious at the fact that he was in prison preaching the word of God. Not only was he preaching the word of God, but the people he was preaching to, this elite group of soldiers, were responding to the word of God. And that is what made them jealous. That is what caused them to be somewhat angry 
I'm, I'm put in prison. I'm preaching the word of God to an elite group of soldiers who in normal day-to-day could not get reached by the common commoners, uh, as it were. But yeah, he is in prison. God has allowed him to be in prison so that he can preach to them. And because he's finding a positive result, these other preachers, these other Christians were actually envious of this. They were actually envious of the fact that they were responding well to the gospel. Forget the fact that he is in prison. They are envious that those he was preaching to in prison were um, envious. And so he, he starts off by saying that there are some in Rome who were preaching out of love. Yes, there are those as a whole who were preaching out of envy and strife, out of wrong motives. But then he goes on to say that there are actually some who were preaching out of love. See, love is the second valid motive. The first good valid motive, as we saw in verse 15, is good will. There were some who were preaching from a place of good will. The second one is from a place of love. See, love is an advance to good will. Now, if you read that verse, it says, um, um, but the latter, not later, latter, I think that's how you pronounce oh, Those ones, English is my eighth language. Those ones were preaching out of love. And there's, um, uh, it says there's, out of love. The of in the in that sentence is actually a source word. And what that means is that love in this particular passage is the motives, it is the motive for what they did. They didn't preach out of jealousy, they didn't preach out of strife, they didn't preach out of the negative connotation that or the things that Paul was um, speaking about. They actually spoke and preached out of a place of love. You remember what 1 Corinthians 13 1 says that though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Another translation says if I speak to you from a place out of there's no love I'm actually a resounding gong. You're just making a noise. It's empty. It's empty words. And so these people were preaching from a place where the source was love. Then he continues to say this. He says that, um, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now it would seem as though there were more people in Rome at that time who um, were preaching out of a place of... um, envy and strife, the more negative or improper motives than those who are preaching out of a proper motive. And um, at this point, it would seem Paul's reaction, remember we've also been looking at in, in the study of his word, is how Paul's attitude has been all along. His attitude towards how things are happening, towards those outside, towards those inside, his attitude has actually been exceptional. It's been an, uh, an attitude that is not one that we would ideally adhere to. If we are put into those, in those situations, you would think of yourselves and the life that you have now, and you, in some situation, what is your attitude like? How do you respond? But the, the overarching um, 
thing here that we see is Paul's attitude was directly linked to his viewpoint of God and his kind of God's sovereignty of how the world works. Yes, we don't understand everything. Yes, things do go wrong. Yes, some things do work and, and there are trials and tribulations in our lives. But Paul's attitude was dependent and closely linked to God himself. He saw God at work within all the situations, which made his attitude a little bit different. See, Paul saw his purpose as defending the gospel. He was quite particular. He was quite um, passionate about this gospel that, uh, that he was preaching. I mean, this passion didn't hold him back in prison. He wasn't kind of closed in and draw, withdrawn he actually was even more so um, um, proud and wanting to preach this gospel that he is, lives for. So out in the open, he's able to. He can preach as much as he wants. Guess what? Even in prison, he says, I believe in this gospel. I've seen what God has done. He has revealed things to me. And guess what? I'm going to tell you whether I'm out uh, free in the world or whether I'm bound in a prison cell. And in this chapter, we, we, we note, it is worth noting the emphasis upon the gospel from Paul. He says in, in verse 5, it fellowship in the gospel. Then he goes to, um, to say in verse 7, confirmation of the gospel. Verse 12, furtherance of the gospel. And then here he speaks about he is here to defend the gospel. Gospel, gospel, gospel. What is, gospel. what is the gospel? That's good news. It's us preaching good news to a lost and dying world. See, Paul was passionate about his, this gospel. He was con, um, convinced that he has to be advanced in this gospel. He was convinced that he was um, an advocate for the, for the gospel. He was convinced that God has allowed him to be where he's at so that the gospel can go in his own, eter or in our own internal uh, ways. When you put, put in prison, you think that there's no room for the gospel to be preached. There he says, no, there's got to be room for the gospel to be preached, even in prison. Even in prison, there's still room for the gospel to be preached. And so there he goes and he preaches to the captive audience that he had. And I wonder for ourselves how we react with life situations. Every situation that you find yourself in, every, every part that you are thrown into, do you have a God viewpoint of your life? Or do you have a, your own viewpoint of your life? In other words, whatever's happening to you, are you looking at it and saying, oh, obviously I don't know, I don't know how this is all going to work out. Or are you actually looking and saying, God, you are, your view is bigger than mine. How is your gospel going to advance in my situation where I am called? He viewed himself as appointed for the gospel. And that's true for every Christian. We are all appointed to preach the word of God. Yes, some will have bigger audiences some will have even bigger. And some, not all of us are going to have big audience where we get to preach the gospel. But I can tell you this. 
in your life, wherever you're at, there will be pockets of opportunities where God allows for his gospel to, uh, an opportunity for his gospel to be preached. And I wonder whether we recognize it. Paul did. He knew his mission and he saw himself clearly in God's plan of world evangelism. No prison wall was going to stop him speaking about Jesus Christ. Nothing was going to stop him. And he carries on and goes to say that there are some who preach out of selfish ambition. Last week I covered some preaching out of envy and strife. He goes on to say that there are some now who are still preaching out of selfish ambition. So in between um, selfishness and strife or envy and strife, he then says that those who are preaching out of goodwill and those who are preaching out of... Um, a place of love. And then he goes on and he says that there are still some who are preaching out of selfish ambition. Now, preaching Christ from a, a, a place of a selfish ambition is quite something. These words in Greek originally meant a person who works for hire. Now, to many, to work for hire, to, to work almost like a, a, a part-time laborer, was a demeaning thing because a man worked for his own interest instead of working for the good of the group. This person worked for himself. The Christian gospel is not about you and you by yourself. It's not about me by myself. The Christian gospel is about us collectively. It's about me working towards the good of all of us. It's about you working towards the good of the church at large. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. The Christian gospel involves all of us. All of us. Uh, there's statements that I've heard that say you're not uh, saved or born again into isolation. You're not born again into isolation. You're born again into the world. So you can present Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Otherwise, what are we doing on this earth? I often ask, if, if I was saved and I'm holding on so that I can go to be with Christ, well then what is the point of life now? There has to be more. There has to be more that I'm, I'm called to do, we're called to do, so that we can exalt Jesus Christ, so that he can get the glory that's due to his name. What is that more? Yes, it's not about doing more. It's about, about uh, yielding to him who has called you son and daughter. And as you yield to him, so he reveals things to you. And so he says, no, well, you need to go and do that. And so you, out of obedience, you do that. And that opens up to the next thing and so forth. And, but the moment we get to a place where we start asking questions, God says, and you have questions. And you start reasoning. Man, it just brings some sort of doubt. I mean, you remember Jesus being tempted by the enemy. What was the, 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 the big thing that he asked Jesus several times? Did he say, or what is it um, written? What did, did the Father say really that you are his son? Doubt, planting doubt 
in our minds, planting darts in your minds. And so this morning I wonder, what has God said to you individually? What has God said to you individually, which then adds to the collectiveness of the church here and the church at large? What has God said to you? So this person who has selfish ambition was forever looking for his own or her own approval, his or her own praise. So the things you do, you're doing so that you can get an approval, an applause, praise for men on earth. But like I said last week, we do what we do for the audience of one. The one who's created us. We, do the li- we live this life for him. That we can get an, an approval from him. We can get a praise from him. But even in all of that, that he may receive glory that is due to his wonderful name. These people who are working out of a place of selfish uh, ambition, out of a place of a motive that is not right, were found to be causing strife. And if we work that way, if we are doing things out of selfish ambition, we will find quickly that we will end up causing strife. We will end up causing contention and discord. And it is a difficult and sad expression of hostility. It is a desire to fight back. These people had a spirit of rivalry. They had an argumentative nature. This was caused because I have to be right. I've got to be right. My way is the only way. Uh, and that we can fall into that trap as Christians. Uh, we, are not, we are too proud to say, actually, you know what, Heinrich, I think you are right about this. You're right about this. You're right about, I didn't see it in the word of God. I think you're right about this. I'm too proud. No, 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 no. I, I know I've got the answers. And that just opens up an environment and a, a room for contention, room for strife, and room for discord. And that's not the Christian gospel. Yes, it says that we will... Sh- Iron will sharpen iron. And so we'll rub each other in the wrong way, as it were. We will. That is life. But our responsibility is, is to react differently. Is to put ourselves aside. To say, okay, what is my motive? Why is Kathy telling me what she's telling me? She's tra- telling me to help me? And often I probably don't see it that way. I think she's trying to put me down or she thinks she's cleverer than I am. And um, <laughs> she nods her head. Um, <laughs> and it's not always the case out of your... It's not always the case from a place of um, if I know you and I know you've got to laugh for me, it's a different... We have a different angle. We have a different attitude. So you're not coming to me with a shambok, but you're coming to me with a, a warm hug of love, but direct. You're speaking uh, 
And when you speak like that to me, there's something as a Christian brother and sister, there's something that just sits in my heart. It says, I can, I can listen to Henry because I know his character. Because I know him and I know who he is. But often we don't, we don't end up in, the, in that place because we might fall into a place where we are selfish, where our motives are wrong, where we want to be right. And um, the word will say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Often our yeses are not yeses and our no's are not no. It will be yes to some people and no to others. It will be no to others and yes to some other people. No, your word, whether it's a yes, it's got to be a yes blanket to everyone. And a no uh, blanket to everyone. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But later on, verse 18, we'll see Paul, despite all of this, he knew that people were preaching out of a place of selfishness, out of a place of envy and, and strife, out of a place of love and goodwill, out of a, a place of different motives. But in verse 18, he says, I celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is still being preached. He, the gospel is still going out. Even though the motives are wrong for some, he celebrates the fact, he thanks God that the fact that some, uh, the gospel was still being preached. Now it would seem as though there were more, um, it, it was a contentious place. It's, a, it's like an environment where, uh, you know, the, the, these ones support Paul, these ones don't support Paul. Um, uh, and so it caused strife, it caused issues. And I wonder how we are in the Christian fellowship, in the Christian movement. At this point, it's important to ask this question. How does Paul handle this matter? He's in, the prison, he's in prison, bound. This is all happening. He's aware of what's happening. How does he handle this? As I said in the beginning, he had a view, God's viewpoint over the whole situation. Him being in prison, he had God's viewpoint about that. This that's happening with all these uh, people in Rome, free, preaching the word with different motives, he had, a, he had got a God viewpoint of that. But you see that he shows confident trust in the sovereignty of God. So everything he's able to say, God... I give it to you. I see these things happening. In my, in my, it shouldn't be this way, but I can see it's happening. Yet the word, your word is going. Yet Jesus is being proclaimed. So I rejoice. So he looks at the, the sovereignty of God. That which we don't understand. He doesn't even understand the sovereignty of God. Uh, even being thrown into prison. It's not as though God had told him beforehand, I'm going to throw you into prison so that you can preach to the elite group of soldiers so they can come to know me. He didn't know that. He just found himself thrown into prison for doing a noble task. But he so laughed and the sovereignty of God um, from a perspective of a viewpoint of God. That's how he so laughed. We see that confidence in the domin uh, dominant note of Paul's news of himself is God. He is not too worried about people. Yes, he highlights this is happening, that's, but he's, 
dominant view is God. Who is God? How is God doing what he's doing? How is he allowing me to be here? What do I need to do in this situation so that God can get the glory? We see how confident he was concerning the power of prayer, concerning his security in salvation. So he knew he was saved. You see how confident he was concerning the overruling help of God. See, to preach God, uh, the gospel is one thing. To preach the gospel with impure motives is yet another. Impure motives were placed into the pure gospel. And this dilutes the gospel to some extent. It distorts its power because what is preached does not line up with the way it is preached. It is one thing to preach, but it's yet another to live out our preachers. It's one thing to say... A, B, C, D, but it's another thing for me to live that A, B, C, D. You remember the good old cliche, practice that which you preach. Yes, it's a cliche, but there's so much truth in that. So much truth in that. For if we don't practice what we preach, we dilute the gospel and make it difficult for others to believe in the message that we are trying to preach. And dare I say, in all honesty, rather do not preach for your actions promote hypocrisy. Dare I say to the church, to myself, dare I say, rather don't preach. Rather, don't preach. And I don't speak from a place of preach to the masses. I'm speaking to a place of preaching to um, the next person, to your neighbor, to, you know, the, the, the areas of influence who you are called, God has given you. But then Paul says that he thanks God, that even with the wrong motives, even with the selfish ambitions, even with these things that are just almost seeming, they are actually negative. Um, he thanks God that the gospel is still going out. The gospel is still going out. And the reason he was able to say that, I thank God, that even though the Roman preachers were all, uh, all divided with the different motives, the gospel went out, and I'm thankful to get, uh, for that, because Jesus is, uh, is rejoiced and preached, is only because um, he had that God view of life. We will never have all the answers, but if we... we gaze uh, focus on, on God as Jamie helped us understand uh, reminded us this morning through the word we are encouraged to fix our gaze on him and we fix our gaze on him then we somehow are able to understand that whatever's happening in our lives around us behind top whatever is happening around us actually God's serenity is still working we are his children we are his beloved he says 
and he will work all those things out for your good and for his glory. And that's an, that's a, a, an encouragement that I hold dear to. I don't understand why things happen the way they do, but I do understand one thing, that God's viewpoint is different to mine, and I accept that, and I submit myself to that. And in all of that, Paul celebrates the fact that the, the, the gospel still advances. Jesus is still preached. And God the Father receives the glory through these preachers. Wrong motives or good motives. He, uh, God still receives the glory. And as I said, this is impossible unless you and I are yielding to the Holy Spirit. We mentioned this before in our, in, our, in our study of the book of Philippians. There, the Christian life is impossible to live it out according to what we see in the Word if we are not yielding to the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself found the need to withdraw from crowds who wanted his attention. He found the need to withdraw himself and, and, and put himself in a place where he is just alone with his father that's yielding to god and out of that god spoke and things happened things happened so i leave us with this question does your love find its source from god's viewpoint does your life find its source from God's viewpoint. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that um, you are God and we are not. I thank you, Father, that you are close to us. Even though you hold everything in the palm of your hands, you are still close to us. And this morning, God, I ask, if there's one thing that we would learn and understand is that we would be desperate to yield to you so you can show us the way forward. You would give us the same viewpoint that Paul had a viewpoint from heaven which then helps us in our attitude, in the way that we um, address each other, the way we live our lives. I ask Jesus that you would be honored. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.